0: Hey loves, I'm Marley Liss, and welcome to the Sensual Revolution. This is a global movement to reclaim sensual empowerment on an embodied and systemic level. My personal path of sensuality has not been easy. Shame around my body image, sexual abuse, and my queerness had me dissociated and numbed the heck out. It's been a big journey to get to where I am today, but I really have turned my pain to purpose. Along the way, I've learned our personal healing makes epic waves in this world. This podcast is here to remind you that your healing is selfless. When you learn to shed shame, love your body, and claim your worth, you pave the way for all people to do the same. Here, you can expect to hear from sexual educators and healers who work at the embodied level of sensual empowerment, as well as policymakers and justice leaders who work at the systemic level. It's all connected. So, whether you're at the very beginning of your own sensual healing journey or you're a sex positive advocate and superstar, this community welcomes you. Let's come together and revolutionize this planet one loving, sensual step at a time. Hello, loves. Welcome back to another episode of the Sensual Revolution Podcast. Oof! This episode is so freaking powerful and I know it's going to inspire you in such a deep and freaking profound way. So today we have with us the Desiree Garcia. Desi is the founder and CEO of the amazing foundation Candle in a Dark Room, which has helped survivors all over the world heal through trauma. Desi has been a counselor and crisis worker for 12 years. She's a proud Latina mama, a podcast creator, and a survivor of so, so, so many things, as you'll hear in this episode. So, within 48 hours of sharing her story with the world, almost 3,000 people heard her words and reached out to her, sharing the impact. Her story made major waves in the news and the media, and it has inspired countless people to break silence and find light in the darkness. Desi is up to amazing things and is such a powerful example of someone who's turned pain to major purpose. I'm going to give a really full-out trigger warning for this episode. You're going to be hearing about Desi's story of surviving physical and sexual abuse as well as child pornography. So check in with yourself if that's something you're not available to listen to today, to hold space for. No worries, go ahead and skip to 15 minutes into this conversation. That's when we begin talking about reclaiming voice, pleasure, and empowerment within our bodies. Desi gets really vulnerable about her ongoing journey with reclaiming sensuality and sexuality as a survivor. We share some really fun, beautiful tools for feeling safe and confident within your body. Desi's message around the power of storytelling and breaking silence is so inspiring, and I know you're going to love it. So let's dive in. So friggin' excited because we have such an inspiring woman here with us today. Her name is Desi, the creator of Candle in a Dark Room, and just this epic, epic, epic survivor who's doing so much in our world. Welcome, love. Thank you for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yay. Okay. So let's just start by you sharing a bit about yourself and your amazing organization that you've created.
1: Yeah, so um, like you said, I started Candle in a Dark Room, which started off as a podcast a little over two years ago. Um, I started off by, you know, one day, you know, for years, people have always told me when they've heard my story, oh my gosh, you need to do a book or you need to do a movie or something needs to happen with your story. And I never really knew what that was. Um, I kind of started off as trying to do a blog, and that didn't really inspire me enough, and so one day, my husband told me to do a podcast, and I had never really listened to podcasts before, and so I literally just got my little HP computer and, like, a little cheap microphone, went in my closet, and just recorded my story. Um, From there, my story went, my podcast um, episode went pretty viral. It had, like, 20,000 views or something like that within, like, or listenings um, within, like, maybe a couple days, Um, and so, yeah, I just kind of skyrocketed, and I was shocked I was like, holy crap, I thought it was just going to be like my circle of, you know, a couple hundred friends on Instagram and Facebook. Like I had no idea. Um, so from there, I kind of realized this is so needed. Like I started getting messages after messages of thank you for your story. It inspired me to speak up. It inspired me to tell my story for the first time and blah, blah, blah. And so it was just really made me realize like, okay, we need to do something so people have a voice. And so from there, I kind of just continued um, interviewing survivors of different things, everything from mental health issues, sexual, physical violence, Um, I mean, you name it, we have dealt with it or we've had that discussion. Um, People who've even lost people to suicide. So yeah, all different types of conversations, all of the quote unquote taboo subjects, we have talked about. And so I've been really lucky to have some amazing guests, including you, where, you know, we've had, I've had some inspiring stories and it's just, um, so then about a year ago, I again, kind of realized it needed to be something more. Um, I've been a counselor and crisis worker for about 12 years. And so I worked in this field, you know, talking to people and any type of trauma I've worked with. And so I decided to make um, Candle in a Dark Room a foundation. And that is what we are now. Um, we're a nonprofit organization and we do many different things, including workshops, groups. Um, I do one-on-one coaching slash it's a mix between coaching and therapy. Um, I do women's retreats. We do um, aftercare. I have aftercare where I partnered up with other organizations and help take care of their aftercare program when they've rescued people from trafficking or whatever the situation is. Um, so, yeah, we just, I mean, we do so many different things, but those are kind of our main focuses. Incredible.
0: Yeah, celebrating you. I'm just so grateful for the work you do. I know I Thank only you. see, like, the tip of the iceberg. I imagine there's so <laughs> much behind-the-scenes work you're doing, yes. but it's been amazing to witness. So Thank I know you. you referenced a few times your story. Um, I'd love if you could share more about your own personal healing journey and what it is that led you to this work. Of course, only what you're comfortable sharing, all of it is yeah. welcome.
1: No, no problem. Um, again, I'm, a, I'm an open book. My whole story's out there already. Yeah. So there's not really much anyone can't hear. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so I'll kind of start off from the beginning. Um, so I was basically, I was born into trauma. Uh, my parents got married very young. They were kind of forced to get married through the Christian church. It, my dad had a lot of trauma that he had never dealt with either. Um, childhood trauma that my dad never dealt with and so it came out in anger and my dad was very um, just a you know mentally and physically abusive and it was just a very toxic home. When I was six years old my parents finally got divorced and pretty quickly my mom and dad both kind of moved on. My dad got uh, met somebody and got remarried and then my mom met somebody. From the beginning I kind of just felt uncomfortable and I don't know why um I don't know why i kind of had that radar but i just felt uncomfortable around him mm-hmm. um when i was from what i can remember and this is where things are kind of um so kind of not clear uh the first memory i have so from about six to eight years old i don't really remember anything um but then around eight years old uh one of the first memories i have is he was um molesting me and i was sitting on his lap and it just we were watching a movie And I just kind of escalated, Um, but I know it was very quickly turned in from molestation to full rape. Um, I mean, you name it, it happened, everything you can think of was done. I mean, um, you know, here I was eight, nine, 10 years old, and this man was making me do all types of things that I had no idea about before. From the beginning, I remember him saying if I ever told that he would kill me. And on a regular basis, he would hold a knife to my throat. He would um, make me hold a pillow over my head until I pass out. He would, um, he hit me so hard at one point. I remember he broke my ribs. Um, So many different things that I would disassociate to survive and so I would just pass out or I would just kind of freeze and then I would come out of it. And during that time he would just do whatever, whatever he wanted to. My mom did not know at least you know to this day she swears she didn't know and I don't believe she knew he was very very good at lying he was a very good manipulator He made it very clear to, I could never tell anyone. So I had to become a very good liar to survive. Um, My dad and my relationship at that time was very strained. I didn't really have a father figure. And I think he definitely took advantage of that and used that to his advantage of like, he would say the right things or make me call him dad and this and that while I was in front of people, but then behind closed doors, he would obviously not be a father figure every almost every single day from the age like I said from the, what I first remember um, it was eight years old until I was 15 and then when I was 15 I finally um told uh you know during that time I had become a cutter I had bulimia and I was taking pills like percocets and all types of things to just numb myself I would drink I mean I was just a complete zombie I just went through the motions of life. I didn't, I wasn't able to enjoy life. I kind of got to the point around 13 where I couldn't fake it anymore. It kind of, I couldn't put on the happy face. And that's kind of how I always was. Everyone knew me as Desi. Like I was very happy and I I always had a smile and this and that. So no one ever thought much was going on until I would have meltdowns. And then people would assume it was because of my dad, not because of my step. No one ever asked if it was my stepdad. Um, no one ever asked me if something was going on, at least not that I remember. So that's kind of one of the things I advocate for is parents having communication with their children. But that's when I can really say depression kicked in and I had major thoughts of suicide. I was sleeping with random guys, not initially sleeping, but I was doing very sexual, sexual acts um, with random guys at school. I'd go to parties and do sexual things with guys and so many things that like, I didn't even care at this point. At this point, I basically just like, fuck it. you know. like, I mean, what's the point, right? We had just moved into a house and, um, my stepfather had, I finally convinced my mom to let me put a lock on my door because I was a teenager and I told her and convinced her it's because I needed privacy. So that night he was picking the lock on my door. And I remember just sitting there and being frozen. And then finally he gave up at trying to pick the lock. That was when I, um, decided that I was just, I was done and I needed to get help. Um, so then when he had tried picking the lock that night, I felt honestly, I felt something just like take over me and just be like, give me like the power and strength of like, you need to tell now's the time. So I ran to school as fast as I could. And I told a school teacher. And so she, um, just offered to help me. She helped report it. He ended up being sent to prison after like a big, long trial and process. Um, he ended up getting three to life and he spent five years for what he did to me. And then he got five years because he got like attempted murder um, from her, his cellmate or something. And so, yeah, um, he ended up spending a total of 10 years there. And during that time, I ended up going to a rehabilitation center when I was 15, right after I told I ended up going to a rehab center here in utah which was um, part of the hospital the children's hospital and i actually lived in their residential program from 15 to 17 years old and then i was diagnosed with disassociation identity disorder which most people don't really know what that is but did is basically there's different kind of different types Um, most people know know it as like multiple personalities I do not have multiple personalities, but instead what would happen to me is I would be sitting here. Um, I always explain it like the mood, like the, I don't know if you ever watched the Disney show that's So Raven where Mm -hmm. she'd have a vision and she'd like go off into space. Yeah. That's how I would happen. Basically. I would kind of just go off into a zone and I'd be gone. And when I came back, I'd be eight years old, nine years old whatever I was during this episode that I was reenacting. Uh, My body couldn't tell the difference between reality and a memory. More than once, they brought my mom in and they told her she'll never be normal. She'll never live a normal life. She'll live in a mental hospital the rest of her life. She'll never be able to have children or drive a car. Um, So once I finally made it through the program at 17, I got out and I decided to move to New Mexico because that's where I had some aunts and cousins. And I was just Done living here in Utah. Um, so I went to New Mexico to live with my cousin, and I actually, that's where I met my husband. And I never told anyone about my past. I never told anyone except for my husband at some point. I did tell him a little bit um, because I would start to disassociate sometimes when we would like get intimate or anything like wow. that. And so at one point, I had to finally explain. This is why, this is why I can't, this is why I get triggered when we, we, we when, when anything happens between us. I started um, becoming a counselor and started that whole process and it was to help other people, but no one knew it was because I was like also healing. Once I had my daughter, I was informed that my stepfather was going to be released from prison. So he was released in 2015. And I remember going to his parole hearing and begging the judge not to let him go. Because I knew I had a feeling always that it wasn't over. And I just knew this wasn't the end of it. Um, and at this point, again, I was a mom. So I was very paranoid about like my kids being, you know, being here. And I remember looking at myself in the mirror and I was like, no, I'm done. Like, I'm not going to let him take anything else from me. He took my childhood. He will not take my future. And I remember just being angry at that point And like, but angry in a powerful way, like, fuck this. Like he's taken too much for me and I'm ready to fight back. He's, the, the court system doesn't have my back. So I have to do this myself and I have to fight to get myself better. And so I did. I um, started the process. I, you know, looked for therapists. I started talking to people about my past. I, um, that's when I kind of started working on the blog of telling my story and just, it slowly started to become a release for me talking about what happened to me and helping other people. And as I was a counselor and crisis worker during this time, I again had worked with people before who had been through trauma, but I wasn't able to ever resonate because I never told anyone. Well, this time I was actually able to resonate and like tell them, hey, I understand what you're going through. Like, here's some things that I can help you with, and here's what I can offer you because I know it works. So I really just started doing the self work, reading books, and you know, just all types of different things. You name it, I I looked into. So I started my podcast and. February or March, I believe, um, of 2019 and in June, 2019, I got a call by an FBI agent and he said, your stepfather was released from prison or excuse me, your old stepfather was released from prison, um, you know, a few years ago. And I told him, I knew that. And he said, I don't know if you know, he got rearrested and he goes, he was rearrested for child pornography. And I remember already like my stomach sunk and I was like, okay. And he said, I don't know how to tell you this, but he had over, so we raided his house, his computer and everything. And we found over 200 pictures of child pornography with your face cut out and put on every single picture. And I remember I was working at the U at that time and my like heart sunk and I was like wait what and I was in complete shock like this is shit you see like on Lifetime movies like this is like not real life right people did not think this actually happened I believe he was planning to kidnap me at some point um some of the pictures he had were me sitting at the you know the park with my children me on working on a case at work um I was on like crime scenes he was literally following me around the city while I was working Uh, pictures of me at Costco just weird shit And so again, that's when I was finally like, uh uh-uh, like, fuck this. Like I have been sitting here advocating for other people. I started my podcast. I'm letting people share their stories and I'm using my voice for the first time. Mm -hmm. And he's going to come and take that. Like, he's not going to come and take that from me. I'm not going to allow him to have that power over me again. And I was just so angry. And so I, um, just this past July, which was about a year later, 2020 i had to go to court um it was during pandemic so it was over zoom which is interesting because he was about as close as you and i i could see him like right there which i hadn't been that close to him in years and so i read him a letter i wrote a, i wrote a letter and i called not only him out but i called the court out of this is the problem of the court system telling us that they're going to protect us and they don't i had left because i had felt something was wrong since he'd been released. I had felt like he was following me. I had many incidents where I would call my therapist and be like, I think I saw him. I'm pretty sure I saw him. And everyone would kind of dismiss it as, oh, it's her PTSD. She's just paranoid. It's her anxiety. And I would totally be brushed off. So I started calling his parole officer and I would leave um, messages to the parole board and the parole officer. And I never received one phone call back. And that's when I called out the court and just said, if you guys would have done your work and like looked into when i made these calls and believed what i was telling you then this could have been stopped a long time ago um and then i you know told i read him the letter and just told him you know you've taken enough from me i hope you spend the rest of your life in prison because you will no longer hurt, hurt any more children um and that was the when i actually felt free for the first time in 31 years um mm-hmm. I was in shock, I think for about 24 hours. I didn't cry, nothing happened. I think I was like a complete shock until the next day I just started crying and I just told my husband, I was like, holy shit, like I'm free. Like I never have to worry that he's gonna get out again. Um, he did get life without parole. Um, I have, you know, continued to do the work. It's an everyday process of healing. And that's what I tell my clients, you know, work. It's not something where you're gonna wake up one day and say I'm healed and everything's fine. I have to remind myself every day, almost that I'm okay, that I'm safe and that he no longer has power over me. And that's what I try to do for other people today.
0: Thank you so much for sharing love. You're amazing. Like thank you. such a powerful human who's been through so much. I mean, no one in the world would blame you if you didn't help another human being on this planet for the rest of your life. You're like, I'm all out. But here you are, like, dedicating your life to helping people and weaving that into your own healing journey, I hear as well. Mm -hmm. And I heard a few times in your story, like, this moment of of reclaiming your power by being Mm -hmm. like, no more of this and and the power of breaking silence, like, definitely Mm -hmm. that theme as well. So that being said, I know a big part of what you do in your podcast and your organization is helping other people to break silence, to tell their stories, to have this platform. Why do you think that's so important? Like, why do you think telling our stories and hearing survivor stories is, is important?
1: So for me, especially being a childhood sexual abuse survivor for seven, over, over seven years, I had no voice. Over seven years, I had no voice saying what I wanted, what I didn't want, what was okay, what was not okay. No one asked me. And so I, once I finally found my voice within and realized, like, I can sit here and be in this dark, dark space for the rest of my life. I could do drugs. I could do this. I could do that. I could do so many self-destructive things. And like you said, I'd have every right to do that because of what happened to me. But at some point, I finally realized, like, the light that I needed to save myself. Nobody could save me but myself. Nobody could come in and a therapist, a doctor, nobody, they could help me. People could help and hold my hand, but nobody could do that with, except for me. And so, yeah, I think using my voice and finally being able to say what I could never say gave me the power and the strength to be like, okay, I am now like, I have a say in my own life and that's so powerful and that um, reclaiming that is something that I love seeing when I help you know, I coach people or when I interview survivors and literally seeing that weight lifted off their shoulders of telling their story for the first time of like, I've had people just like get off as soon as we stop recording, just cry. Mm-hmm. Because they're like, holy shit, I've never told that story before. I've never used my voice and told this before. And that's what my goal in all of this is. It's take your power back. I, I want people to take their power back from their abusers. Um, because whether it's a seven years or one time, That person that hurt you took your voice and getting that back is the most important thing because until you can take that back, you can't pull yourself out of that darkness. That's the Mm -hmm. biggest, biggest, biggest thing that you need to do to save yourself is by using your voice, whether it's, it doesn't have to be a podcast. It doesn't have to be anything big, but even just owning and being like, okay, this happened to me. This is a part of my story. This is not my identity. This is not who I am. But it's a part of my story. It's a part of my journey, and that's when I think I had to finally change my mindset too. Is like I was Desi the victim for so many years, mm-hmm. and so it was so scary for me to not be a victim anymore. I didn't know who I was. I was like, well, shit. Like, well, who am I then if I'm not Desi the victim? You know, um, and that was really hard for me. So that's when I had to change my mindset and really look deep within myself and say, okay, Desi, you have a voice. You're now Desi the survivor you're no longer a victim. And that's probably the most powerful thing in what I do is seeing people reclaim their voice.
0: So beautiful. Oof. Yeah. I'm like getting emotional over here. I really, (laughs) really am so with you in that reclaiming voice. Like for me, definitely that was one of the most healing things was Mm -hmm. for me, it was through writing at first and just sharing my story and breaking silence was, was a way to give meaning to everything Mm -hmm. that happened. And I agree, I see that all the time. Like our stories are so important and needed. So thank you, thank you, thank you for telling yours. Um, I'm curious for you, like on, on your own, on the level of your own healing, What's been the most rewarding part or the most healing part of you sharing your story or even the most unexpected part that you're just like, whoa, I didn't expect for that to happen and telling my story.
1: The most rewarding part is honestly, I think finding my purpose. And um, again, when things would happen, I remember when all of this came out and I like remember praying and just being like why did this have to happen to me? Like, what is my purpose in this? Like, am I supposed to just die now after what happened to me? Like, I was so lost. Um, And then after I was able to pull myself out of it and then I got the help I needed and I started Candle Dark Room, that was probably the most rewarding part is my story, literally giving people the strength to tell theirs, literally giving people the strength to be like, okay, if you can do this, I can do this. I mean, I've had people come to me and send me messages of like, I was done. Like I was ready to give up. I read, I listened to your story. I read your article or whatever it is. And it gave me the strength to be like, okay, I can hang on. Just hold on a little bit longer. And that's what I always would tell people is just keep hanging on, keep holding on. And I promise there's light at the end of this tunnel. You just have to keep, you just have to keep looking for it. Um, But that's probably the biggest thing I think was Finally, being able to look at myself in the mirror and saying, holy shit, I have a purpose. I know why I'm here. I know. Do I believe that's why I specifically went through what I went through? No, but I think because of what I went through, because of free will in the world, after what happened to me, that's when I believe, you know, my higher power came and was like, okay, now because of what happened to you, now we're going to use this for something good you're not going to you know you can use this for so many different things, but we're going to use this for something good and I always since at least since I was in rehab, I remember having a dream um, where I was on stage and speaking and i had this i've had this dream multiple times and I'm on stage and there's all of these women and young women and even men, and they're all holding a book with my face on it mm-hmm. and i they always joke that I'm going to be the next, I'm going to be the next Tony Robbins, but a girl version. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And that's how I feel. And I think that's probably been the most rewarding thing is just being like, I did it. I actually did it and I made it through and I'm here today. And I can honestly say that I'm happy. I'm not, yes, I have my moments. I'm not going to lie and say, I don't, but I, 90% of the time I can honestly say I'm happy. And i am like I was at Costco today and I had my ear pods on and this I was like singing while I was getting groceries and this lady just starts laughing at me. She's like, you're enjoying yourself getting groceries. And I was thinking when she walked off, I was like, I'm genuinely happy. Like I have so many things to not be happy about, but why sit in that? Why, you know, why sit in that pain? Um, So those are probably the biggest things that I'm proud of myself for. That helps me with my healing. Uh, And then with other things, It's probably been, it's probably been people reaching out that I would never think would hear my story. Mm Um I was just on something amazing that I never in my life thought I would be on. Um I can't announce it yet because I have to wait till it till it airs. Um, but that will be announced soon. But I've been asked to be on, you know, I've been on the Rain website and I've been contacted by Alanis Morissette's team to be on her concert thing. I've been contacted by so many different people that I'm like, holy shit, this isn't just my community. It's not, and it's not even about me being like about me. It's more of people all around the world are literally hearing these stories, not just my story, but your stories and other survivor stories. And it's getting around the entire world. I mean, I have people as far as um, like Russia that, that have talked to me on a regular basis. And that's so cool to me of being like, holy crap, I literally can help these people that don't have the access to get the resources to get help in other places. And that's, those are probably the most rewarding things, honestly, is just seeing how it affects other people's lives.
0: Thank you, love. Oh, it's so beautiful. I (laughs) honestly find all the people on this planet who inspire me the most in some way, shape or form in interviews, whatever, at some point have said, like, it's so much bigger than me right and I really see you obviously it's an intentional name as like the candle in the dark room because you really are embodying that for so many people and I know there's so so many humans in this world and at times you felt it I felt it where we we are so disconnected from hope and we don't know that healing is possible And then we hear stories like this and we see Desi singing in the grocery store and we're like, wow, she went through that. And yet here she is singing in the grocery store, like mind blowing in terms of what's possible and how much hope we can hold. So I'm like, yes, that is the power of our stories. So thank you, thank you you for sharing that.
1: Of course, yeah, I think it's it's so important. So thank you.
0: I would like to hear a bit about and obviously I don't want, like you are saying, healing is ongoing. It's not like before and after picture, you know, it's, yeah. not, it's not like <laughs> yeah. that Instagram versus reality. Um, but in terms of your relationship with your body, I'm curious about what's been, what's been really healing for you and where are you at now with that and what's helped you reclaim a sense of safety in your own body. And something I'll just add for, for listeners too is I think this is something that does not get talked about enough is the intersection between disordered eating and sexual trauma. And I saw yeah. a stat once that was like 40% of um, eating disorder patients have been through sexual trauma, which is super, right. super high number. And- Which is super so high, but
1: I honestly, think it's higher than that. Just basically. Yeah. On- my working in the field, like, I mean, almost every single survivor I've worked with has some type of disordered eating problem.
0: Right. So yes, I would love to know what has helped you reclaim a sense of safety, maybe pleasure, joy, maybe love within your body. And if none of those words feel relevant, feel free to choose your own words.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, yeah. Um, So, you know, honestly, this is probably you know, to be full, like honest here and raw, this is something that I still have to remind, this is something I still have continued to work on. Um, Because of everything that happened to me for so long, I, so long ago, I remember I gained weight because I thought if I was disgusting on the outside, he wouldn't want anything to do with me. And so I remember literally like not caring, not caring to brush my hair, not caring, not caring to do any of those self hygiene things because if I was if I didn't look cute on the outside, he wouldn't want anything to do with me. But that happened to make I would be bullied. I was bullied like crazy. I was, you know, there were so many negative things, because side effects because of that choice. Um, so as an adult, it's affected me in many different ways. You know, I still, my weight literally goes like this, up and down, up and down on a regular basis, and it's so frustrating. And I would have a hard time, it, you know, it was to the point where I would literally weigh myself every hour to make sure I didn't drink too much water to make sure I didn't, you know, whatever the situation was. And I noticed that to this day, when I am under a lot of pressure, those that's the first thing that goes in my head is mm-hmm. not self-harm, not cutting not any of those things. It's disordered eating. Um, when my dad died last February, that was one of the biggest things that I went to was like food because it's comforting, but then it was releasing. So it helped me get rid of all that pain. And I, and I realized that, and I caught that, that within myself. And I, again, I remember looking in the mirror and being like, okay, you've done so much work to love yourself. Why, whenever something happens again, that's the first thing that you go to, to ruin is yourself. Not anything else, not, you don't blame it on anybody else. You blame it all on you and you take it all on you and then you destroy who you are. Um, so, you know, through all of these years, I've had to really work on that relationship with myself. I've had to learn to try to love my body. I've tried to accept who I am, accept my flaws. And I can honestly say it's something I still struggle with. Like I said, I, on, I have to literally not weigh myself. I have to ha- like have my husband hide the scale because it's an automatic thing that I do go to. Um, but I also can say I've never loved myself more. So it's so, it's so hard and it's almost contradicting because it's like that. Yes. That's the first thing I go to when I'm under something, like when I'm struggling or I'm triggered or anything, but I also can say that like, I do love who I am. I love my body. My body's giving given me two children that I was supposed to medically not ever have, but my mm-hmm. body fought like hell to get me through it. My body, I have type one diabetes and I believe it was because of my trauma. I got diagnosed when I was 15, right after my stepfather was released from prison, or excuse me, right after my stepfather was sent to prison. Um, I have died, almost died literally three times in the ICU in the hospital. I've had so many things and I'm like, my body is so powerful and can fight so many things. Like it's, a, it's amazing. And I have to really like hug myself sometimes to be like, you have gone through so much. Your body has gone through Literally any type of trauma, almost you can think of, but you're still you're still here, you're still standing, and you know I love listening to your your advice and your things, and we've talked about this before, and it's something that I want to work on with you at some point when I'm <laughs> when I can. It's something mm-hmm. I want to work on with you because it is something that I can say um, I I can I don't think I I'm fully in my sexuality like as you as you are and you describe. That's something I definitely still struggle with. Um, the sexual, the sexuality part of that side is really hard for me to get in touch with. Um, not only with my husband, but even with myself. Like I have a really hard time feeling sexual with myself or feeling any type of like sexiness or like, um, you know. The other day we were, it was my husband's I's anniversary, and we were all at dinner with my grandma and my mom, and they were joking with me. They were like, "Are you gonna go get lingerie and stuff before you guys go on your weekend getaway?" And I was like, never, like, I would never do that. Like, I think I like had lingerie when I got married and I don't think I ever took the tag off of them because I have a really hard time connecting sexually with myself. And again, I know it's because of my trauma. And even though it's something I feel through for me, it's, that's one thing that I never um, expected to change because I was like, because of what happened to me, this is just who it is. Like, this is just how I am. But as I've learned with you and seeing just the things that you talk about on a regular basis and watch your lives and all the things that you've talked about with your sexuality, it's made me realize that like, it's okay that I feel this way, but it's also something I can change. So um, just barely the last, probably the last month or so, I've really been trying to like get in touch with myself when I take a shower, look at myself in the mirror and be like, okay, you you have, you know, you're beautiful and accept who I am. And yes, it's hard, um, but it's something that definitely can be done, but I can't say I've nailed it yet, but it is something I am continuing to work on because that's probably the biggest thing that I haven't fully Mm -hmm. gotten to the other side of yet.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that. It's so, it's so beautiful to hear about your reclamation journey with that on so many levels. One being like, the fact that you are this epic impact maker and advocate and you're you're empowered and inspiring people in a million ways and acknowledging that you're also a human on an ongoing healing journey as we all are and I think a lot of the time for all of us we have this idea that we have to be perfect we have to be the perfect advocate and to acknowledge like Every single one of us is always healing and reclaiming something. And that right. doesn't mean that we have no wisdom or power or brilliance or genius to share right now. So I just think right. that's such a real form of leadership. Like I always cringe when someone's like, I'm
1: fully healed now. Like I'm like, right. Oh, we're all you know, <laughs> I think those are two like big things. One being, like you said, I think those of us in this that are especially public or whether it's podcasts or whatever it is, I do, I think that that's the standard that people do put us at sometimes. And even we put ourselves at is mm-hmm. they're perfect, their lives together. They're good. When I've been honest of like last year, I had, I dealt with suicide ideation when my father died because I was in a really dark space or when I went to court last year and I, you know, my depression was really bad or whatever the situation is. I want people to know they're listening is like, I can still be here for you and guide you, but still be healing myself. And yes, obviously, if I'm in a dark space, I probably shouldn't be helping someone at the moment. But for the most part, like I'm honest with my clients and say like, hey, this like I just did, you know, this is something I still struggle with. This is something I'm working on now. This is something and it's okay. And I feel like we don't, first of all, no one's perfect. No one should be, no one's healed 100%. Everyone's been through some type of trauma and everyone has healing to do for the rest of their life. Um, and also the other thing I wanted to bring up was the sex thing, because I think that, you know, so a lot of survivors who are listening to this, at least for, from what I've heard. So when I had my women's retreat a couple of weeks ago or about a month ago, um, we talked about, we had one, a man there who did a self-defense class and he talked about how his spouse was a survivor and how they struggle with intimacy, how it's always been a problem for them. And I literally remember seeing every single woman, we had like 30 something women there and all of them were like, just sat there with their eyes wide open. And at the end, everybody shared like, Oh my gosh, we have that same problem. We have that same problem. And so again, the reason I'm saying this is because I want people to know that are listening to this that are survivors is like, if you aren't in touch with your sexuality yet, or if sex is a very uncomfortable thing, or even with your spouse, you know, I've been with my spouse, my husband for, 12, we just had our 11 year anniversary. And I'm comfortable with him more than anybody. But I still have moments where I literally have to talk myself into having sex or into being intimate because it's because of whatever the reason. Because I've been, tr- I was triggered that week, or because I'm too much in my head, or whatever the situation is. Um, so I want people to know that like that is normal, but that is something that you can work on. That's something mm-hmm. you can continue to work on. Um, that's something I'm working on even even currently because it's something I think I'm gonna have to always remind myself of. of it's okay. I, this I'm allowing this intimacy right now and I think that's the difference is Mm -hmm. we those of us who were abused for so long or abused so long ago we're like intimacy that that power was taken away from us right Mm -hmm. and that's where it's so powerful to be able to take that back and be like no I now have a say to say what I like what I don't like who can touch me how we can touch me and all of those things And I think that's probably that's a super powerful thing to be able to get in touch with yourself in that way 100%
0: yes 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 I'm
1: so happy you're saying that (laughs) I really feel
0: that as survivors or anyone holding like a marginalized identity in the world and like continuing with this sexual abuse survivor conversation Mm -hmm. our pleasure is so radical right it's such a radical thing and that to me feels like a superpower to have Mm -hmm. reclaimed that and to be reclaiming that in an ongoing way Like me loving my own body, dancing in the mirror, like popping my booty to Fergie and like, (laughs) you know, just loving, feeling myself like that is so radical. And in a sense, it is some form of activism. It's some form of embodied activism and saying, like you've said, Desi, no, you can't take that from me. I'm taking it back. This is mine. This is for me. This is for my joy.
1: And well, that's I think there's nothing to be different. ashamed of either. And I think that a lot of us have shame of being like, you know, at least for me, I had times where I was like, oh, I can't show too much booty or I can't show too much cleavage because I don't want people to be like, oh, well, she's a survivor, but she's showing her her boobs are half hanging out, or because she's dancing, you know, at the club or whatever the situation is. I feel like people, I feel like I get shamed by that, or I feel like I shame myself in that way, probably the more than other people have. I've shamed myself. And that's another thing too, is it's okay to reclaim our sexuality. Like you said, it's okay to be out there shaking your booty or whatever it is that you feel called to do, whether you're a survivor or not. And I think that's where some of the shame comes from. I, I, I think for sure, a lot of us have struggled with that.
0: Yes. So, so, so with you and that something I think too, is we can make it like the word sexuality can feel really mm-hmm. scary or daunting right. or intimidating And then, so how can we make it a little more accessible? This is why I love the word sensuality. It's like, okay, this is more of an umbrella term. And then even more accessible is like the idea of pleasure. So I'd love to hear Desi, what are some ways that you connect with pleasure in your life? And that can be singing at the grocery store, like laughing with your kids, anything. What are some ways that you connect with pleasure?
1: Um, Music is a huge thing for me. Even writing, like you said earlier that you were a writer, I've written since I was, I mean, since I could write, basically I have journals and journals of writing. Um, That brings me a lot of pleasure is being able to like just say anything I want on paper. Um, But yeah, music and just like, whether I'm in a down mood or a happy mood, um, I can turn on a song and literally it can just change my mood. And I love that. Um, So music brings me a lot of pleasure. Of course, my kids, I think, Seeing my kids live um, the life that I didn't is super really like that brings me so much joy is seeing my kids smile and seeing that they are genuinely happy children brings me so much joy and pleasure. Um, Just, you know, honestly, my life, like looking at my life brings me joy of like, I can't believe this is my life more than one time. I mean, I can't even tell you how many times I've literally just been like sitting there and I'm like holy shit. Like, this is my life. Like, that's my husband. This is my house. These are my kids. Like, it's so crazy to me. And it, sh- it even like shocks me sometimes. Cause again, I never thought that I would have that myself. Um, and then also what brings me pleasure is seeing healing in, all, in other people. And I can honestly say that is seeing success in other people, seeing, you know, people's dreams come true, seeing people, you know, grow because of something, because a decision they they, that they made, um, things like that bring me a lot of pleasure and a lot of, um, gratitude and a lot of like satisfaction of like, okay, this is, this is what life is about. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And then I think, um, you know, little things like totally silly, but I'm a nail tech too. And I do mm-hmm. my own nails. So like doing my nails brings me pleasure. Like when my kids go to bed and I'm just like, I'm going to go put on a show downstairs. I'm going to do my nails. and just like sit in my space and things like that are, are really, um, I love. I love it. Oh, it
0: makes me so happy to hear that. And it's exactly what you're saying of like, it brings me pleasure to witness your healing and your success and your reclamation. And I just think you're such an inspiring human. And I know everyone listening to this, just hearing all of that, they're like, yes, Desi, like claim <laughs> that radical pleasure. It's so inspiring. Um, so one more thing I'll ask and then we'll start to wrap up is. What's next for you? I know you have these gorgeous Tony Robbins size dreams, (laughs) but femme style, like what are,
1: what's next for you? Oh, so much. Um, so we're about to start this group, um, where it would be, it's $20 a month and it's gonna, it's basically like a club. And it's where, on a regular basis, we're going to have meetups, groups online. Um, It gives you discounts to retreats, to banquets, to all types of different things. Um, So that's going to be really cool because it's going to be just like a huge community of survivors. Um, And we're going to all be able to, you know, say, hey, I need support on this. Or, hey, I'm going to court. I need some support. And it's just, I want it to be like an actual full community of survivors. Um, So I'm excited about that. I am, um, like you said, I am doing more speaking gigs. Speaking is probably my next biggest thing is um, I really want to become a more public speaker and have that be like a regular thing that I do. Um, It's kind of just my regular job of me going and sharing my story of hope. And um, those are probably the top things. And then just sharing my story on different outlets, podcasts, like I said, that show, that's going to be released soon. Um, So many different things, just that with this work, I feel like it's constant growing and it's things that I thought were going to take years to get there. And it's not, it's, it's happening very quickly. And I just think it's, I'm so grateful for that. Um, And then just, you know, growing my foundation, I eventually, I want to have a, um, like a treatment program and I want to have like a treatment center where people Uh can come to and um, like an aftercare kind of, and we have short-term Housing or whatever it is while people get on their feet after their trauma. Yeah, so um, like right now, we have a survivor who just got, um, she's just gotten some help and some treatment and now needs a place to stay. And so I want to be able to provide that space and that safe space. So, yeah, there's lots of things in the works for us. Um, I do women's retreats. We just had one last month. Um, The next one's going to be in January. We're gonna be doing these twice a year, which is was one of the most beautiful experiences I've ever had and seen. And um, it was so amazing. And so yeah, there's so many different things that Candle and Dark Room has in store. So yeah, if you're looking for a women's retreat or groups or one-on-one, you know, counseling therapy, anything like that, we we provide all types of different resources. So.
0: Amazing. Okay. So I'm going to put a link to Candle in a Dark Room in the notes. Is there any other ways that you'd like to
1: name that people can connect with you? Yeah, just Facebook and Instagram um, at Candle in a Dark Room for Instagram. And then Facebook is just Candle in a Dark Room. So again, it's Candle in a Dark Room. Some people put the, so I always make sure they, they put a. Um, and then just our website that you're going to put the link to. I think those are probably the main, the main things that we use. And then of course, the podcast can be it's on anchor it's on um i i what's it called itunes it's on mm-hmm. um all of those. but basically anywhere you can get a podcast we're on so spotify okay i'm gonna ask two fire around questions one is for
0: everyone listening to this right now all the beautiful beautiful people listening right now um i'd love for you to just leave them like a you are affirmation
1: Ooh, that's a good one um, For so many things. You can say multiple if you feel it. Yeah, I mean, my my biggest thing is you are. I mean, it's so cliche, but it's you know, it's you are enough, perfectly the way you are. You're perfectly made, um, and you are anything that you choose to be. And I think that's where that's the biggest thing because again, people get stuck in the identity of what's happened to them, but that's not who you have to be. You can choose to be anyone you want. So.
0: Oh, beautiful! And then, what's one thing that you're gonna do today for your own self-care?
1: Good question. I'm probably gonna take a bath because I really haven't taken. I was thinking about that last night. I haven't had a bath. I haven't like taken a nice, like, relaxing bath in a couple weeks, and it's been a week. So, yeah, I'm definitely gonna just take a bath and paint my toenails and just like kind of have me time. My daughter and would totally be on board with that too. So she'll she'll join me
0: (laughs) oh so sweet good yes we love baths you deserve all of the gorgeous dreams that you named all of the bath time all of the pleasure in whatever way feels good for you in this life and I'm just so grateful that you're here and that you're sharing your story and your heart in so many ways so thank you love you you're amazing thank you so much How inspiring was that conversation? Desi is so amazing and is such a powerful example of someone who's taken such darkness and found the light in that. She really is the candle in a dark room and I don't know about you, but I am feeling so connected to the power of hope, resilience, solidarity, and sharing voice after listening to that episode. Healing is so, so possible. And we're all worthy and capable of claiming that. And remember, you're never ever alone in that. So definitely go follow Desi, follow Candle in a dark room. If you're looking for a like-minded community of women who are claiming sensual empowerment and self-love, definitely go check out my free global Facebook community. I'll drop that link in the show notes. It's welcome to everyone who identifies as woman, and it's such a beautiful space to form connections, share resources, and receive tangible tools for our sensual healing. Definitely, if this podcast resonated with you or inspired you, please do share it and leave a review. It really helps us to amplify these messages. And we have another amazing guest coming on for the next episode. So I can't wait for you to hear that next week. And I'm sending you all so much love.